0: Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of How Haven't You Watched That Yet? A podcast where we talk about movies from the 80s and 90s mainly, which somehow have escaped the notice of my co-host.
1: Me! I'm Arianna. My co-host here is Luke. And we're going to talk about how I don't live by your cultural zeitgeist standards. Like, I'm not going to watch these movies just because they were popular at the time.
0: I won't see good movies. Everyone's seen them.
1: Yeah, who who does stuff like that? That's a
0: great standard. That's a great standard.
1: <laughs> okay. You totally
0: don't miss out on anything.
1: <laughs> well, you know, people kind of talk about the movies, and then you get to form completely uneducated opinions about things. And, you know, those are my favorites.
0: Of course. Of course. So, basically, I make a lot of cultural references when we talk. And I make a lot of references about movies. And, and I got tired of having to explain... The context of every single movie reference I ever make, ever. you
1: you just don't explain them at all.
0: Well, yeah, because you can't explain them all while doing them justice. So instead, we're going to watch all of those movies.
1: And the first one that we picked is Jurassic Park. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about kind of my expectations of what this movie is going to be like, Um, provide a really quick synopsis of the movie, then talk about what we found really cool about it, what we didn't, and... All the things that it impacted in the movies that came after. Mm -hmm. Because Jurassic Park is such, like, an amazing monster movie. It defined the genre, and I'm just kind of Mm f***ing it now.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What I would say is that Jurassic Park's important, and like, we why that is.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, so let's start off. So what did you think the movie was going to be like before you saw it?
1: Oh, man. I knew that it was going to be scary, because... When it came out, and I was young when it came out, there were people who saw it, and they were also kids, but they were like, oh, it's so freaky, there's so much blood, and there's so much gore, and I had no idea what this movie was going to be like. And then that was also around the time when, like, dinosaur movies were kind of popular as well, so I saw a few of those, and then I got into my head that it was just going to be a really dumb movie. Mm-hmm. So I never really wanted to watch it ever. It just it seemed like it was going to be one of those, like, Buff man action film movies. I don't. I don't know where that idea came from, came from.
0: Yeah, like I think that it's kind of like judging the initial thing that started the whole craze with all the imitations.
2: Yeah.
0: It's not really fair to the original thing, which is generally pretty good. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at all these terrible sci-fi movies about computers. Oh wait, they came one to seven years after The Matrix. It's just a clone, but it's not as good because it doesn't have an original idea. It doesn't have like visionary directors. It's Hey this thing made lots of money and on a topic I'll make one too it's easy
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the big things in art like if you do any creative thing is that people tend to get a little bit confused between the theme of the movie versus like all the work and effort and the other stuff that the goes craft. into it making it a good movie. yeah like you don't really need an original idea if you have a good story.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and thing is what we've seen is when people make really good movies, based around Michael Crichton books for example <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're dinosaurs dinosaurs are cool they did very well for Michael Crichton and his estate they did very well for movies in general but they also made like the Andromeda Strain so they don't need dinosaurs
1: I've legitimately never heard of those movies
0: you never heard of the Andromeda Strain? what is that? coming soon <laughs> on how, how haven't you seen that yet
1: <laughs> oh, okay we'll
0: All talk right. about that later okay. so what happened in Jurassic Park?
1: People got freaked out. Little kids nearly died.
0: <laughs> That's the most depressing two-sentence synopsis <laughs> that I've ever seen. Uh, so, what, like, I'll walk you through it, then I want your reaction to what happens. So, the movie opens up in probably the most non-expected way.
1: What I remember at the beginning of the movie is that this is, like, the most early 90s movie that I could possibly see. Mm-hmm. It had... If you, like, I when I think of early 90s movies and the cinematography of it, they have that certain, like, color scheme. Nighttimes are always that kind of blue. And yep. daytimes are always that kind of yellow. Yeah.
0: But what happened? So, you... What oh, we're so, up you're with. right.
1: You, you open up with, like, these people on an island with a gigantic crate, and it's, it's like a crew of some sort, and they're trying to transport something, and you can hear roars, and... So you get kind of an idea that there's something happening here. Something is being built, but it's also dangerous. It's very
0: dangerous. Like there's twenty guys ish, yeah, and they have these really long, almost cattle prod like taser weapons. Yeah, and even with all of their precautions, with twenty guys with bulldozers and all these machinery things. Oh, and a guy
1: still dies. And a guy still, dies. A guy
0: still dies. So I think they really got they got really into it on showing how dangerous the park was before we even knew what was going on. Right. So from there we're introduced to our main characters. We move over to Grant. Yeah. So what was uh I think the biggest thing for me watching the movie, like when I watch it and I remember like watching the first time, Dr. Grant is always like the guy who's like, I'm just gonna terrify you children. Like, no, you don't understand you won't. I carry this claw in my belt. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I keep a Velociraptor toe claw to terrify people. And he would rip you apart like this, and he draws lines with a deadly razor-sharp claw on this poor kid's chest. Dr. Grant was really, really tough, was the idea it was portrayed as. And I guess you kind of see in the movie, he's kind of tough, but he's not like, you know? Like, he's never... I think the reason why Jurassic Park is good is you never have the scene where he punches out a Velociraptor. You know, like, there's never like this open fight scene in the open where Grant's like, I can take you, Raptor, and then he like beats it up in like, combat. Yeah. No, there's like, they outsmart them, they run and hide well, they trick them. But there's never a straight up like, I could just beat you by fighting you with my magic scientist kung fu. That never happens, and I bet you in every single knockoff, that happened and it was terrible. But we're introduced to Grant, and right away we meet Hammond, the creator of the park. So, I remember your reaction to Hammond when he first came in. I want you to express that to the listeners at home.
1: I'm trying to remember what my reaction was.
0: I believe it was, what a douche. (laughs) As he flew in on his helicopter, completely wrecked a dig.
1: Just about ruined
0: everything and went, I'm going to bribe you to come and give me a good
1: mark. Well, the vice, I remember saying, what a douche when he came in, went into their trailer, didn't even say hi, and just like took their champagne. And they were like, but but we're saving that. And he's like, for today, you guys are saving it. Yep. And the
0: thing is, Hammond can afford to be that level of dick because he's single-handedly funding all the research. So how he gets Grant to come, and I'm sorry, but I forget the female scientist's name. I know she's a botanist. It's like I know she's Linda? a. No.
1: Jane Lydia. No,
0: I don't know. I she had a last name, just like Dr. Grant. I don't know his first name either, but, but I forget her name. I know she's a paleobotanist because I call her that more times than they call her her name. Yeah. But, and I mean, good on them having a female scientist in a movie in the '90s. Like that's, that's probably pretty progressive. I think you know.
1: Why? I- I think like they
0: had a female scientist in a movie that honestly, was not a nurse.
1: Her character was just really great. Like for all that like for like first and second wave feminism that her well, character was really on She point. was
0: obviously like, smart and the things that she was an expert on, she knew more than anybody
1: else. She was also like fairly aggressive about being like I am my own independent yeah, I mean, woman. Yeah,
0: she's very snarky and very much like she's like don't you don't have to go out there and pull the. I am a man. I'll, and she's like You have a cane. (laughs) I'm going to go do it now. Give me the gun. Like, it was very much like a very straightforward, the look of, what, on her face? When everyone's like, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, walk, yes, my leg is bandaged up from being destroyed in this massive accident. I'll get it, though. I'm a man. She's like, um, I can, I can run, though.
1: (laughs) I think it speaks to both of their characters that scene, but we're kinda of getting ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. a
0: little bit. Yeah, but I think that it's important to note how the characters have arcs, but they're not super huge arcs. No. The arc is not really a character changing. It's just a character being experienced or being dropped into an experience very unlike something they thought they could ever experience.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's what it is. I think like when you talk about movies or novels or whatever and you talk about them being a specific type of movie or novel like this is a character driven movie or is it a plot driven movie or is it a yes. like narrative which sounds really boring not that narrative um like an environment where you're just Exactly.
0: Is it man versus world, man versus himself, man versus another person?
1: What this movie was very good at doing for me was creating Interestingly bland characters, where they had enough life to them that you can be like, oh yeah, you're not just like, what's her name in Twilight, where she like doesn't do anything and just is always sad all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Bella Swan or whatever her face is. Like, but they also like what everything that they do is something that you can see yourself doing fairly Mm -hmm. easily so that you're able to step in their shoes but like when once you do so they'll actually act in ways that make sense Mm -hmm. but they don't do anything that out of the ordinary and they don't develop that much Mm -hmm. so the entire movie is about this experience of being in a park with dinosaurs that doesn't isn't able to provide enough safety precautions
0: yeah, but I think it's not just not finding a station. That's not the movie. No,
1: no, I know. that's like a terrible the one. The movie thing. is
0: about life finds a way.
1: I think that it's like a, a good theme for the movie. It's mm-hmm. just that it's not like the biggest one for me. Like, that's not the draw.
0: It was bigger in the book, to be fair. Yeah. Because, like, the whole. The book was a little more on chaos theory. But, I mean, really, before we can talk about chaos theory in the movie, you kind of got to talk about why it's even at all relevant. And that's the next big character, which is Malcolm. So, Malcolm is played by the most 90s of characters, which is cool Jeff Goldblum. With a mullet. With a mullet. (laughs) The thing about Jeff Goldblum is that he had a very strong, like, five-year period. And has since completely disappeared from everything. He was in gigantic movie after gigantic movie. He was back-to-back Independence Day and Jurassic Park. Two of the biggest movies of the 90s. And then, what has he done recently? Nothing. At least nothing that I've ever seen. And I've seen an awful lot of things.
1: I've never really heard of him, so... But I,
0: you haven't seen I 90s I guess my movies. opinion
1: doesn't count.
0: You haven't seen 90s movies. That's <laughs> the whole point of this show. Is you've never seen a <laughs> single thing. You are a 90s kid, but you haven't seen anything that 90s kids will understand this.
1: I was a 90s kid who grew up on a lot of Simpsons. I had more TV than I had movies.
0: That's okay. That's fair. But at the same time, if you clicked on one of those little BuzzFeed lists, how many of those things would you know?
1: All of them. If I lied. <laughs> okay. Sure. Back, back, Whatever. To, back <laughs> to rock star mathematician yes Jeff
0: now this is a concept that does kind of exist in real life like every probably 10 to 15 years you hear stories with this new guy in math who's 21 to 23 years old hasn't hit the 27 years where every mathematician who's a genius dies and this is the, the real stat it's pretty creepy every mathematician who's a super genius who pushes the boundaries of math since newton basically has died before 27 or 28 it's crazy i don't understand it uh, the secret. theory is they don't take care of themselves because they're too focused on math and they die.
1: Nah, it's a secret. The Liberati organization, clearly.
0: Yeah, okay, sure. Um, but Ma- I think Goldblum, like, plays Malcolm in a very convincing way of the guy who believes his own hype on a level that is frankly, like, if he wasn't proven correct through the whole movie, he would be, like, a massive dick. But he's proved right through the whole movie. So he's not, you know, like it's like the whole uh, in the book they call him a Cassandra a couple times, and it's like if you know Greek myths, here's some foreshadowing. <laughs> so you're just a doomsayer like that. I don't know, Cassandra, the doomsayer who was always secretly right until the oh, hmm.
1: She isn't secretly right. She was well, just. Everyone
0: else said no. You're wrong.
1: The curse was that no one would believe her. Because everything that she said was so outlandish.
0: Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. Where it's like, you're the doomsayer that nobody believes. And then all of a sudden, everything you said comes true. Oh, wait, that's Malcolm too. So I think what's interesting about Malcolm is that he is very much overtly like 90s machismo in the worst possible packaging for 90s machismo. Like, he's playing like a Nicolas Cage type character. I imagine they get cast Nicolas Cage in that role and then couldn't get him. Like, that's what it seemed like to me. Because I think Nicholas Cage would have played that role with a little bit more, like, it would have been a little more believable that he was, like... A
1: little bit more serious. Yeah,
0: like... A mathematician.
1: I think Jeff Goldblum, the way he played it, he was a little bit, like, laughing at himself and his character. Well,
0: the thing is, Malcolm in the Books like that, too, though. Malcolm in the Books is always, like, cracking jokes at, like, people dying and cracking jokes at dinosaurs mauling, like, everybody in existence and... In the books, an awful lot more people die. <laughs> but I think the really interesting thing about this movie that makes it different from a lot of movies that are like you know trying to be Jurassic Park is that they're not afraid to kill main characters, but they also don't go out of their way to kill every main character. You have a real chance in every scene that a character could die, but they also don't kill one every scene.
1: Well, if you think about this movie and actually the number of people who died, none of them are main characters.
0: I would say the game, for... the game warden's a main character. Mm. I would say Samuel L. Jackson's a pretty main character. He's a, he's a, or I a secondary character, I guess. Yeah. he's not like the primary cast, but he's like he's pretty well, like important. Well, to the if movie. you think
1: about okay, so the way I think about main characters in movies is that like if they have a developable story arc. So if you think of them as like a character who's mind or opinion changes in some significant or insignificant way. So there are
0: no primary characters in Jurassic Park?
1: No, in Jurassic Park, like, there are, it would be Hammond, and it would be um, Dr. Grant, and I'm going to call her Linda from now on, um, paleobiologist, Paleobotanist paleobiotanist, yeah. paleobotanist. Yeah. Paleobotanist. paleobotanist lady. That's her
0: name now. Her name is now paleobotanist.
1: The two kids... I mean, the only arguable primary character that you can say died would be Malcolm, and he's also a little bit of a stretch for me in he terms didn't of, like, die. oh, he didn't die? Man, I wish he died.
0: No, <laughs> Malcolm didn't die. Malcolm was, like, they saved him at the very beginning. He's fine. They drove away in the jeep. He's got, like, a wounded leg. He's like, I'm making crypto chaos theory. Life finds a way lying on the table, and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll go anyway. And then the girl's like, I got it.
1: Yeah. Like, but if you think of the n- number of characters, like, the characters who the have listed.
0: The lawyer gets eaten by a dinosaur. Yep.
1: Um, um, Nedry yeah. is eaten
0: by a dinosaur. He's a main character. He's the main antagonist for the movie, as a human. Yeah, yeah. And he gets eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, everything but his arm is eaten by a dinosaur. Yep. And his arm was somehow then propped up in a bunch of cables by a raptor for some reason, just so it can just having to fall on our shoulder and like,
1: oh, I'm here. Chaos ah! theory. It happens yeah. randomly.
0: <laughs> a butterfly flaps his wings. <laughs> and yeah. an arm
1: falls into a pot of cables. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And it doesn't really make sense. But anyway, we're kind of really off track on the plot. Also, there's... So, what happened after they met Malcolm and Hammond? They flew to an island, which is described as somewhere west of Costa Rica. And this island has the most sophisticated Walt Disney-esque park ever built outside of America.
1: As a side note, I think it's actually, like, the branding for it is brilliant. Like, yep. it's... Like, I know you mentioned that it's supposed to be Walt Disney-esque and they took inspiration from Disney and, mm-hmm. like... But you I, can see it. Yeah, but it's not It's not just taking inspiration for it. They actually really thought through, like, the colors for the Jeeps and the logos. And, and the little
0: gift shop when you yeah. walk through the first time, you're like, wow. Yeah. They, like... Whoever did, like, the little like film crafty things to mm-hmm. be like, do you want know we really need? You know what it, like makes this like really resonate is we mm-hmm. need like we need like a really tacky, like really overpriced gift shop.
2: Yeah.
0: And guess what? It needs to all be like completely branded merchandise. Yeah. And it has to be of our like four characters that we've made up for our park. And did I mention that every guide is all wearing these like very like in theme uniforms and every person who's a staff member there who's not in the, one the control room, people who no one will ever see, is all wearing the same, like, very elaborate costuming. Like, all the guards have the same, like, khakis and, like, safari guide outfits. You wouldn't want to wear that in Costa Rica. Yeah. It's hot. Like.
1: Well, I mean, safari guide outfits are meant to be. Yeah,
0: really but the thing is, feet. they're not actually on safari. That's the no. thing. They're in a very temperature-controlled, climate-controlled park.
1: Yeah. I think that's 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 the point of it is to really overemphasize. I, I I think it's brilliant to overemphasize the fact that it's all supposed to be under control.
2: And exactly
0: how nothing is ever really under control, yeah. and the more they protest, the more they say, no, no,
1: it's totally fine. And I like how that clash is really underscored by like. Um, well, I, I do graphic design a little bit, so this this is something I focus on a lot. But it's if you look at the colors to Jurassic Park and the logo and. The way that the letters are written It's very, like, not just iconic But they're colors that are not really present in the rest of the film Like, the rest mm-hmm. of the film Dinosaurs are green and, like, purple and, like, gray and stuff And they're very They're cool animal colors color, yeah. yeah, they're animal colors And Jurassic Park itself is
0: Red and yellow and Red and
1: yellow and black Yeah And it's very, like, twilight, on a light,
0: bright brown On a light brown background Yeah But yes, red, yellow, and black on a light tan Yeah Very safari I think it's interesting to note that they played up safari like it's an attraction like a safari yeah. but it was never supposed to be real. It's supposed to be a fake safari. Look at our cool mechanized jeeps. This is a fake safari.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, did we mention that one dude can hit a button and turn off all the everything? <laughs> yeah. So, let's get into why one dude would want to do that. So, this is the villain, the or villain but like The villain of this movie really is the situation more than anything else. Yeah. But I think that if you were to point the finger at the one person who is the antagonist of the movie, it's Dennis Nedry, who is the programmer who made the entire island. He's played by Newman from Seinfeld and is just an excellent, despicable person. He is loud and boorish and completely money-centered, is hinted at gambling away all his proceeds. He keeps begging for an advance from Hammond even as he's already made a deal to snatch his entire life's work out from under his nose. And basically he's paid money by an outside firm to bring them a copy of every single one of the embryos they've cloned of these dinosaurs. Yep. And they have this really cool James Bondy gadget inside a shaving can. It's like it's cool. Like, I, I get why they would do that. Like, that, that makes sense for the movie, right? There's, like, industrial espionage. We have this little thing. We hide inside a normal thing. And you open it up and you put the embryos inside. And it was like, this is, okay, I get what they're doing. It's yeah. kind of silly. Yeah. But so is James Bond. And James Bond is still cool. Oh,
1: well, I think the whole point of the movie is that he's supposed to be, like, this ludicrous character. Yeah. And he, yeah.
0: So the first day that they're there, we see Nedry in the program room. He doesn't do anything all that bad the first day. So they go on their first little tour, and it's really boring, because the Tyrannosaurus Rex just doesn't show up at all, and then they go by the Dilophosaurus, and they don't, they don't show up at all, and all the carnivores are somewhere in the jungle. You see a couple herbivores, and everyone's like, whoa, this is incredible! Yeah, you see? And then they go, for the di- they go for the raptors, and there's no raptors yeah. in sight. They lower the bull into the cage, and you see how dangerous they are, yeah. but you don't see a carnivore until Nedry pulls off his little scheme. Now, what, what he does, he goes into the programming for the park, which is so early 90s, it makes me laugh. It's a Unix system!
1: Guys, if you want to see what this is like, and you have, like, a graphing calculator, just boot up the graphing <laughs> calculator. That, that's what it wait, is. Wait, wait, you don't understand. Your graphing calculator
0: is way more powerful than <laughs> this computer. So, basically, Nedry sets a little dead man switch, so he can unlock all the security doors, turn off all the electric fences... So that he can go in, steal the embryo, and get to the boat in like 14 minutes before they notice he's gone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Or is it 17 minutes? It's like, I have a 17 minute window.
1: Yeah, I think it's 14. And he has it timed in the... To the
0: minute. Like he's got it down to a down pat. Yeah. And right before he goes, he gets a call from his contact. We're leaving in 12.
2: Yeah.
0: So he doesn't do things the way he probably planned. Tries to rush things. And it leads to the deaths of him and basically everybody else who dies. Because what Nedry does, he turns off all the electric fences to every part of the park, turns off all the phones. The only fence he leaves running is the raptor fence. Because even he's not that stupid. He's seen enough of what the raptors did to those poor guys at the beginning of the movie
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> to not even ever joke around with the raptors. They're fan on. And here's where we get to some really interesting things. Now, number one, it's ludicrous to assume that a park that big and that much, like that sized, would have one guy who knows all the code and nobody else. They have 18 genetic scientists, they only have one computer programmer to run their entire automated park. That's dumb. Now to be fair, I mean it's technically possible, Hammond seems pretty cheap. Hammond might have cheaped out on programmers because why? They're not super important. But, when Nedry sets off his little time bomb, there's no one who can do anything about it at all. So the way they try to get around it is the classic IT thing, turn it off and turn it back on again. But being dumb, I don't know. I don't get it. They forget to say, "Oh, I don't know. Maybe before we turn it all off, somebody should be standing at the switches to turn everything back on again."
1: I actually didn't think that that was like a really terrible part of the movie. That is not literally not anything I thought of until you brought it up. It's a great part
0: off. of the movie. It's done wrong as a movie. It works awesome. But I was saying, like, think of it this way, right? The whole tension in that entire part. So the power goes off in the park, mm-hmm. some the party gets split up. Mm-hmm. You got Grant and the kids off on their own, running away from Tyrannosaurus Rexes, and mm-hmm. like you have the, the paleobotanists with the other guy in a Jeep the, and, and then like the
1: Triceratops. And then the
0: Triceratops, and, yeah. and like the party gets split up, and basically Grant basically completely easily saves everybody from the T Rex, and then Malcolm goes and draws them right back in again. Yeah. Because Grant knows things about dinosaurs. And it that's was, kind of wait, the
1: wait, before we sidetrack there. We were yeah. talking about the, why that
0: matters, yeah. 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 What so the switches thing. The reason why I was gonna say that, the reason why there's no tension at all, people act in the same fashion, is that the real danger when they're going to the little switches to turn them back on are the raptors. hmm Until they turn off the power, the raptors are locked up in an electrified fence. Hmm. If she was standing at the switches
1: mm-hmm.
0: when they turned off the power breaker and she immediately hit the raptor one. There are no free raptors. I think... <laughs> the entire movie. I
1: think the point of the movie, or at that part, where that, that I thought was really convincing was that that was just... It's things that they overlooked and didn't think about because they had other things that were they more They thought pressing. were under
0: control. Yeah. yeah. And it worked in that sense, but you got to think somebody there... Again, to be fair, their control room is ludicrously understaffed. They had two people (laughs) to run the entire park. They had Samuel L. Jackson and they had Nedry. When Nedry went away, it's just Samuel L. Jackson by himself. And Hammond insisting that he knows what he's doing. When he's an old man who doesn't get computers at all. Now again, that's kind of silly, but it makes sense in that it's not open yet. You know, it's not like they're not running it yet. I
1: think also, I think it was, the point of it was also that like, oh, this is such a high tech, sophisticated park that like, I think those, Only those, two
0: bytes. Well, know. that
1: that was only that was also the era where computer geniuses were considered a thing, and like it, it was considered a thing that, that like being a hacker or being a computer whiz. Well,
0: kind was, of until you see the like the fourteen year old girl's like I'm a hacker, and then she's like I can click on things that makes me a hacker.
1: Yeah, I've,
0: I know Unix. I think never mind that doesn't look like Unix at all.
1: Yeah, but if, <laughs> if you like think about it though, that was a time when like there weren't a lot of people using computers
0: yeah, computers felt way more like magic then than yeah. they do now
1: and so it's kind of plausible that like, you need one person who is very good at doing things and you don't want to mess up their system.
0: Yeah, but you'd probably want to have two or three guys around who know something about it just oh. in case, you know, oh. I don't know in Logical. case of catastrophic failure, but again we had demonstrated that Hammond is not exactly very good at acknowledging risk, so <laughs> I mean, that, that's very true But I think there's a couple of things in the movie that are kind of like minor plot holes, but they're not that bad. Because honestly, when you're in the movie, when you're like when you're in the movie, you're in the movie, and you're Mm -hmm. like, oh no, oh no, uh, turn everything off. We need the radios back. Where are the kids? Where are the kids? Ah, not even thinking about. Oh wait, we'll turn the raptor cages off. Yeah. Also, who thinks the raptors are smart enough to the second the fence goes off immediately attack the fence and get out?
1: Well, how are they gonna tell? Like it's not like there's the lights go
0: off. Mm. On the top. That's why Grant looks at the fence before he touches it, and it's like, oh, there's no lights on. I'm good to climb the fence. Yeah. Because I think this movie has a really good thing going for it in the way it, it distributes the action sequences.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In that, at the beginning of the movie, is a slow build-up where you're shown the like the size of things and you're mm-hmm. shown how big dinosaurs can be and how terrifying they are, even when they don't even try to eat you at all. Mm-hmm. Like they see the Brontosaurus, which was a dinosaur then, is was not a dinosaur for like 20 years and it's now a dinosaur again because <laughs> apparently they found real i don't know i'm not a dinosaur guy maybe i'm wrong but i i was under the impression they've now found a real brontosaurus they're calling it that and it's a new thing again but they find these gigantic herbivores and they're terrifying their scale
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they keep teasing the carnivores and not showing us and it's like whoa this is so good and when the second and the power goes out and the tropical storm hits and the kids and Dr. Grant and Malcolm are stranded in their mechanized jeeps that don't have gas and don't have controls in them, and the T. Rex breaks through its enclosure like it's made of like flypaper. That is an like legitimately terrifying moment. No matter how many times you've watched the movie, I knew that was coming. I've seen this movie like six or seven times. It hits every time like that sinking in your stomach. You're like, oh no.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think what really sold the fear part of this for me, like you can watch giant monster movies like Godzilla and you're like, oh no, it's a giant monster movie. And there is something to when something big comes flying at you at the screen that makes you startle and jump. So there is that. And I think it gets overused a little bit now because mm-hmm. um, watching this. Um, I did a little bit of research into Jurassic Park, and there's only 15 minutes of dinosaur in this like hour and a half long movie.
0: It's fi- I would even say probably less, but 15 seems a little much. Yeah, but like, I but think the thing is...
1: They like played up the like, the build-up, all these little hints that you're going to see that like get used over and over again later on in like the movie. Like the
0: goat is a really good point. The goat. So the first time they're going through the park, when they can't find a carnivore to save their lives, yeah. they raise this little pedestal with a goat on it.
2: It's like and, it's,
0: and it's tethered to a post and it's bleeding and it's like the T-Rex will come and eat the goat and they wait like a couple minutes and the rex doesn't come to eat the goat and they're like well hmm that's too bad on the way back to the compound they stop in front of the T-Rex pen when the power gets shut off and the goat's there
2: mm-hmm.
0: we have some talking in the cars and the goat's gone
2: yeah
0: and it's like oh no yeah oh no that thing is gigantic yeah it moves silently yeah what on earth there's like these weird like shaking things and they have yeah. the footsteps but they don't realize their footsteps
1: yeah you can see i think i like i love all the little close-up shots of the the of glass things, the glass full of water or like you'll see like it's raining and there's a puddle and then all of a sudden you can see ripples in the water or
0: a guys looking at his reflection in the in the water and then yeah. you see the reflection just completely get distorted yeah i think the reason why it's terrifying though is that They did a very good job of making them not monsters. They were just gigantic, terrifying animals. It's like if you took a rabid dog story, and that rabid dog is now 40 feet tall and really hungry. That's, like, Godzilla is scary, but it's like, it's not on our scale, you know? It's like, it tears down buildings. It's a monster. This thing seemed to me like a gigantic, terrifying animal. Mm. not a monster mm. and there's a bit of a difference there like Spielberg does monster movies with animals
2: mm-hmm.
0: the, the, Jaws. the Jaws is kind of like the obvious and the thing about Jaws that like he's not like Jaws is not a monster
2: mm-hmm.
0: he's just a big shark mm-hmm. and I think what they realized from the success of Jaws and like how terrifying it was and like I legitimately know people who are in their 50s who saw Jaws the day it came out and have not gone into the ocean since like I legitimately know multiple people who are like that And Jaws is a terrifying movie. And Jurassic Park captures that part brilliantly because a monster doesn't hunt down people to eat them. Mm -hmm. A monster has its I'm going to wreck the city, Mm -hmm. rawr, agenda. Mm -hmm. The T-Rex just literally was like, I'm walking around. Is that meat? Chomp. Is that meat? Chomp. Is that meat? And you're like, (laughs) oh no, they're meat. (laughs) They're going to get eaten.
1: That's like the most adorable way of describing T-Rex. Except, except... The velociraptors don't do that. They portray the velociraptors as
0: way smarter.
1: Very malicious even. Not
0: malicious. They're just like they're they're very much like they're pack animals and they are hunting you. They're a pack of wolves. Yeah. But these wolves are as big as you, have more body weight and can jump 15 to 20 feet.
1: And they're smart.
0: And they're smart enough to open doors cuz they didn't use knobs, they used handles. Which I think is honestly the best case in the world ever for not using handles and <laughs> <laughs> instead for using knobs. Well, I mean, my building, velociraptor proof,
1: <laughs> <laughs> also zombie proof, and zombie old proof. person proof. And well, I mean, it, technically speaking, my front door doesn't. people proof.
0: I don't know. Technically speaking, my my door doesn't even have a knob; it's got a button. I mean, you really want to be weird? Like my door is kind of strange, but yeah. anyway.
1: But I, I
0: think that's why it's terrifying. Is they're not just a monster that's like has its own monster goals. They're just predators hunting us. Because we are the people in the movie. You're right, Like we are, the characters are very much projections for us. They're meant for us to be like, yeah. what are, like, what would I do differently here? And the answer was pretty much nothing. They did exactly the smart thing to do in almost every situation. They did the, I'm a smart person, there's a T-Rex coming at me. I know they can't see me when I stand still, according to 90s logic. So we're going to stand still. And Grant is super smart, and he walks up, and he pulls out a flare, and he gets to a flare, and he tosses it, and he stands still, with the flare flies away. Yeah. The like, oh, it went that way. Yeah. What was that? Is that meat? And it went and turned to go towards it, and Malcolm's like,
2: ah, I'm an idiot!
1: I'm an idiot! Grant, I trust you to save us! I'm an idiot! Well, and
0: then almost dies because of it.
1: I think that part with Malcolm in it is that he... Oh, the kid he her. shows
0: he's actually like a good guy in that scene, which is yeah. important because he's just been a dick the whole movie. Like he's just been like, yeah, this is all going to fail. I hate everything about this well, amazingly cool part.
1: I think that scene actually more than it shows that he's a good person. For me, it really just shows how much that he needs other people's validation well, and the thing he, is, he wants, needs to be the hero. But
0: he wants to be a good guy. Well,
1: That's he the need, thing, whether yeah. or not
0: he That's is what. a good guy... I think it's important to his character that he wants to be a good guy. Like, yeah. He wants to be the hero that he's trying to be. Like He's not just putting it on for show and then the coward, which is the normal way they do it now. It's like, look, I'm the cocky hero. I'm going to be the action hero who saves the day. And then the second there's actually violence, that guy runs away and like, the, the guy, the shy, timid nerd, steps up and becomes a hero because that's like a wish fulfillment thing for every nerd in the whole world. <laughs> that's not what they did. Malcolm was like, yeah, I'm cocky and annoying, and when there's actual stakes, and I have to put my life on the line for somebody else, he does it, which is cool and makes him a good character and not just a stupid stereotype, which they use in every movie.
1: I totally read that differently. That really? scene for me was like the problem had been resolved, and he wanted the last word. I
0: think he didn't think it had been resolved. I don't think he knew what was going on because as you see Grant throw out, you can see Malcolm like just like going away at his flare. Like he sees Grant lighting the flare, he's like, "Yeah, flares." Flares. Maybe he'll scare it away. It's fire. I don't know. Flares. And he goes to light the flare. And Grant's like, I tricked it. I'm smart. And Malcolm's like, hey, we're leaning away from the kids, right? Yeah. Because we're heroes? And, and Grant's like, ugh. And then basically everybody almost dies. But I think what's interesting is that you see the two different reactions there. Because Grant is trying to be a hero knowing how it works. Mm-hmm. He's the dinosaur expert. And the dinosaur expert, if you follow his rules, mm-hmm. It's been fine. It's done. The climax is over. They get back to safety, and it's done. The end. Mm-hmm. Movie's done. Everyone's safe. But the viewer doesn't necessarily know the same things with dinosaurs, that Grant does. So in this situation, we are Malcolm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and we're like, save the kids! Save the kids! Uh, I can probably outrun a T. Rex. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's got yeah, stubby legs.
0: It's got tiny little arms. Like you know, <laughs> that means it's slow, right? I can. It's big. Big things are slow. I've seen elephants. They're slow. Oh, wait, except for when they charge. They're very fast. But anyway, I can to run into you. guys to save these kids. And he's like, good. So I'll take one one I know, we'll probably distract it. Like we'll go different directions with our flares. Okay. He has no idea what Grant's doing. And I think it's interesting, though, because it's a good character moment. It shows who Malcolm really is and that he's not just some guy who runs away, which I think is what I thought he was going to be at the beginning of the movie. That character always caves and runs and is an idiot.
1: I think... He
0: didn't cave and run, but he was still an idiot.
1: For that, that moment, for me, was not just that he was an idiot. I, 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 I can see where you're coming from. I think my interpretation of it, for me, anyway, it was always that going to be that he was kind of arrogant and that he always knew that he was right mm-hmm. and that he needed, for some reason, some kind of validation. And that mm-hmm. was his way of getting it. And it just, I don't know.
0: To me, I think that is that he figured he was the smartest guy in the room. And he's like, okay, Grant's got flares. Yeah. Okay, I immediately, being a genius, completely understand everything he's planning on doing. So I will help him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I will help him if with my genius. Mm-hmm. If anything, maybe we'll make it work better because it's my genius too. <laughs> and in doing so is obviously wrong. But I think that we're focusing on that a little bit too much. Like it's been a little while in that one scene. Yeah. But I think that... I think. That's the best way to put this. I think it adequately captures that there are character moments in Jurassic Park that are important and are character-defining. Yeah. They're just a little more sparse than some movies.
1: Well, I think, like, when you have too much character development, it takes away from your ability to be in the, like, Mm -hmm. to replace the character with yourself.
0: Yeah, and I think also that it's important that, like, we had all these characters. They didn't have a ton of screen time. Like... This is not a four hour long epic or a mini series that lasts for, you know, 14 episodes. Yeah. You have these characters in your movie for approximately 40 minutes of screen time each.
2: Yeah. They don't really have
0: a ton of time to grow. Yeah. The only exceptions there would be like Grant has probably around 60 minutes of screen time.
2: Yeah.
0: He's probably the main exception to that rule.
2: Yeah.
0: And he has the most character development in that he starts off hating kids and like being like, I'm this... I know, I'm just like this shy guy who likes dinosaurs. I'm like, I'll do a little tours to make money for my thing. But like, I don't want to go to your park. I'm just going to be here in the dirt. I'm a mm-hmm. digger. I dig in the dirt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm a very dry scientist. And by the end of the movie, he's like scaling down trees with jeeps falling on him. And he's carrying kids to safety. And he's climbing electric fences. And he's fighting off raptors and locking the door on a raptor. And it's like, Grant has this arc where he is thrown into, use the stuff you know, or die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And doesn't die. Which is like, yay!
1: Life finds a way, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> that's, the, honestly, that's, that's the thing. Because when the people thought they had the dinosaurs completely under control, what happened?
1: Failure. Catastrophic.
0: As soon as the apocalypse. people understood that they're not mm-hmm. under control, and now we're in damage control mode, what happened? The only people who died... Dives of things they could not have expected like a raptor already inside the locked and sealed bunker
2: huh.
0: like what <laughs> how would you have ever expected that like there, there's things beyond your prediction huh. but as soon as that happened humans won because huh. the thing about Crichton's stories it's kind of interesting is that people the the Crichton arc that made all of his books like they're, they're very similar books he's very much like a like a john grisham style writer and that he mm-hmm. writes the same plot in different clothes a lot Mm -hmm. and it's good every time the plot is so good that it doesn't matter but it's man attempts to use science that he shouldn't attempt to use
1: he's a bon jovi of writers
0: no i guess but that's also because bon jovi is also awesome so basically (laughs) it's like man attempts to use science he shouldn't use this backfires badly as soon as man accepts that he cannot use this science without danger man wins Because danger is an inherent part of using this kind of science. And that's in the Terminal Man, that's in the Andromeda Strain, it's in the Airframe books, it's in every Michael Crichton book. Because Crichton was a really interesting guy who loved science, and would be like, what if I took this thing to its crazy extreme?
1: I think, I was going to talk about this later, but since you brought it up already, I think for me, then, the, the whole plot of this movie, like, the big arc that comes out of it isn't or the big moral lesson or whatever, isn't, like, life lifelines away. It's that, like, you shouldn't be playing God or you shouldn't be arrogant enough to assume that you'll know what's going to happen.
0: I think the things are the same, though. I think it's the arrogance of thinking that you could just resurrect these dinosaurs out of nothing and that you would just have these blind and total control. Mm. They are living creatures at one point ruled the earth right that's the Mm -hmm. that's the idea
1: that's the draw yeah yeah
0: so why on earth do you think they'll just sit back and let you contain them in cages life will find a way if you give man and dinosaurs have never coexisted but if we put them together it'll be fine that's like that's like a malcolm line he's like yeah yeah you were like oh man and dinosaurs yeah what will happen now oh yeah i don't know war of the alpha species like we are not, pretend. these are not like little tiny like rodents from the time period. We brought back the things that are the kings of their age. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking that it's going to like roll over and let us like look at them in zoos. Like, no. <laughs>
2: oh,
1: I think, I think it was just that like, at some point you thought, like you would think that you are able, not that they would roll over, but that you're able to control them because you have all this fancy technology and technology will save the day. Mm-hmm right? And it's all about control and where you can be able to find control and when you can... Huh.
0: I think the big thing is that that's the whole draw, is that we think we have control. People, especially, and honestly, this has gotten more true over time, not less, and that mm-hmm. people trust in their technology to keep things under control
1: yeah.
0: at a level that is frankly stupid.
1: Well, I mean, self-driving cars.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that's going to happen soon. When you give complete technological control of anything, one bad programmer, one guy who's unscrupulous, the whole thing goes really bad. And the only way you reassert control is by stripping yourself of that technology and being just clever out without it. And I think that's one of the things Crichton likes to talk about a lot. And it's one of the things that Crichton was seen as a bit of a crazy person for, was that he was very... He was not a Luddite. Like, the guy loved science. But he was always very skeptical of how fast people push. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the best line in the movie, the best line in the book anyway, is a little bit different in the movie, is you tried so hard to see if you could. You never stopped to see if you should. And I think that concept encapsulates really what Crichton wanted Jurassic Park to be about. Mm. It's about overreach, arrogance, and that you can't do that. Because no matter what happens, chaos will ensue and life will find a way. That's, that's the themes of Jurassic Park. Hmm. And I think that's why it's a good movie. It's because it wasn't just a dumb action movie. Mm-hmm. It could have just been a dumb action movie. That's like,
1: what I was expecting. And
0: the thing is, it probably would have been a pretty good dumb action movie. Because like, the thing with Jurassic Park that is amazing is how well they placed the camera. And Steven Spielberg is so good at this, so consistently. But honestly, I think this movie is probably his best one for for cinematography. Like, honestly, maybe maybe Last Crusade, like maybe the Indiana Jones movies, like by the end of the Indiana Jones movies, they're very good. Like, the, the cinematography is very good. But I don't know. I think Jurassic Park still edges out for his best cinematography
2: ever.
1: I think what I love watching about this movie when it comes to like where the camera is looking at is that there were a couple moments while watching it being like I wonder what's happening with this and then all of a sudden the camera
0: pans there pans and like,
1: exactly there or even things yeah. that I never thought of well, but they're all things that like build into the story and they and
0: warned you in anything. the shot yeah. the shot was designed to make you wonder what was happening here Yeah. and then right as that wondering is getting to like the part where you're like I'm like I guess I'll move on to something else in my brain now yeah. it shows mm-hmm. you and it's like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> every single time.
1: I think like, we...
0: I think a good example of this is with a scene when Timmy's on the fence.
1: Because
0: huh. they climb over this electric fence in the movie, huh. and right as she's turning all the power back on,
1: huh.
0: as paleobotanist, sorry, is turning the power back on, I say she, it's so many, you know, confusing. Well, there's only
1: two female characters in
0: Yeah, movie. but paleobotanist is turning the power back on, while little Timmy's <laughs> climbing over the fence. And basically, they cut back and forth, and the whole time, the second they to the first cut, you're like, oh no. I know exactly what's gonna happen here,
2: yeah.
0: but instead of just doing it, which is they could have done in, in a modern movie, they would have just done it right then. It like it would have been more like a shock thing. Yeah, they built it for like twenty seconds. Oh. It was like cut. She's like flipping two switches. Yeah. Goof. 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 And then he's like climbing down. Is like That's jump, Timmy, jump. It's coming back on. Goof. 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 I can't. Goof. And you're counting down in your head, and you're like, three more switches, two more switches, three, two, and it's like, what? Off? Like that build is honestly awesome. Yeah. And the thing is, if you pitch that today, people will be like, that's so lame. Nobody would think that was good. Um. Wrong. It's great, <laughs> and like. You can see that studios don't want to do that kind of thing anymore. They don't like that long, drawn-out tension anymore. They want jump scares over tension. Which is silly. Which is silly. And again, jump scares are fine for a different kind of movie.
1: I think that tension works out really, really well. It's because, like... If you've ever been in a situation where you can see something horrible happening It's all unraveling. Right? And it's yeah. all unraveling in front of like like a really terrible Rube Goldberg machine happening to you and you're just like looking oh, at one no. thing and something else and you're looking back and forth. You, yeah. that that's exactly what's happening in the movie. Yeah. And and you can see that like every single shot is actually getting progressively slower And
0: they're also zooming in a little yeah, bit more every time. because but it starts out with the first shot of her yeah. with the switches. It's like you can see the whole panel. And yeah. or almost her whole body, like from head to knees. Yeah. The next shot, it's zoomed into like her hip. And The next shot, it's zoomed into like her like like her waist. The next shot is zoomed into like just her shoulder and her arm. And, and then the is, like, last one was like the last hand. one is just her hand hitting the switch. And it was like every time they're just built. And the, and the other way it was happening around on the on the fence. It started off zooming way on Timmy, yeah. a little bit farther out, and it kind of gave you how far away she was. And she was getting closer and closer and closer and closer.
2: Yeah.
0: And then. He's fine. Oh, actually, he's pretty high up. Oh, he's really high up. Oh, no. Clash. And the dramatic irony is great because we know what's happening in both situations and we can see this catastrophe about to happen. And we also know the characters can't. And the characters have no way of knowing.
1: And I think that plays out really well with the rest of the movie because mm-hmm. you can, like, they had all this warning that all this stuff is going to happen and that it. Like, I think dramatic irony is a perfect way to put it because you can see like, as a viewer that bad stuff is going to happen and then they as characters know that bad th- things are likely to happen and you can just mm-hmm. see it all develop and then kind of come to a head. And
0: you can see that they know something bad is going to happen but they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. They're smart people who yeah. know that bad things are about to happen well, but they don't they don't have 2020 vision in the future. Well, they can't see what's going to happen.
1: I think the dramatic irony is great because, like, it puts us in the same kind of, like, helplessness of situation as exactly. they are in, Right? Because, like, in watching this movie, I was like, oh, no! but You can do this! You can jump! And nothing I can do yeah. is going to change well, anything. Well, the big
0: thing is, too, a big part of the reason why this movie works is that they turned off the phones and the radios. Huh. If they have radios, this whole movie is stupid. <laughs> this is Grant. We're with the kids in front of the TRX paddock. Game warden, go with all your guys and get them. Okay?
1: There were no guys. There were just,
0: guys, but like they're not showing on camera, but there were guys. There were? For example, who are all the guys with the raptors in the paddock? There's like thirty guys. They're there somewhere on the park. They just can't talk to them at all.
1: Are they all just dead now? They no, they're of- all
0: in the they're all in like the staff somewhere else. They're there's, there's staff buildings elsewhere on Jurassic Park. They just have no radios and phones. They can't call anyone. Hmm. And they're too far away. If you went to go get them, by the time you got there everybody else would be gone. Like it's there are other staff members on Jurassic Park that they never get to talk to because all the phones go out immediately. Which is why Nedry's thing, the reason why it's important, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. They could have done anything else. They could have done, oh, it's a tornado, all the things are, a uh, hurricane, all the fences went out. The reason why it's important to have a guy turn it off <laughs> mm-hmm. is that the phones had a good reason to not be on and the radios didn't work. Because mm-hmm. the second the radios work and the communications are there, the tension is gone. I'm hitting the switches. Uh, anyone get off the electric fence? Are you uh, Are you near electric? If so, don't touch one anymore. <sharp inhale> Timmy, come down from the fence. Uh, It'll be good. They go around five seconds.
1: Well, they had like battery operated.
0: Yeah, but they didn't talkies. bring one. Grant didn't have one. No. So the thing is, the team that was out in the field didn't have any. Mm-hmm. The team that was all together had them, but they didn't need them. They were all together. Mm-hmm. The ones they wanted to talk to are the people who are lost. And they had phones. They had their car with the thing built in. But they couldn't talk, and the reason the fact they couldn't talk is why there's tension, and it's what makes the movie so like why the dramatic irony is so strong is that we see both shots completely, Mm -hmm. we understand both pictures, and we know what happens when you overlay those pictures on top of each other. We know there are raptors coming. They have no idea, and it makes it so great because you're tense. You're like, oh no, they can't, they can't see it coming, oh no, they can't see it coming. And then you see, I think the best illustration of this is when the game warden guy gets attacked by the raptors. And you're like, oh. Because Grant talks in the very beginning of the movie, the very first scene with Grant. He talks about how raptors hunt. Hmm. They would let you see one of them Hmm. right in front of you. An easy thing to avoid, an easy thing to plan around. And right as you're smiling and you're like, oh, I got this completely under control, you're dead from the side. And it's too late.
1: That's actually apparently how lions hunt.
0: It's how most pack animals hunt. Um, there's like a big loud thing that scares you one direction,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there's a whole bunch on the other side. The <laughs> yes. That's and the thing is, it's a very smart way to hunt if your prey is stupid. It's well, not as good a thing. Or if
1: your prey is alone and can only. Well,
0: yeah, but in that case, that they're just toying with you at that level because like on, there's multiple raptors. They didn't have to run. They could just like jump at them and kill them. Like
1: no, but like. I think it's just from a evolutionary evolutionary perspective, mm-hmm. like it just minimizes the any chance that you have of damage, if you're like, oh look, look at me, and you, and the other person is distracted or other creature is distracted. Yeah, yeah.
0: I thought it was also very interesting how they, uh, the big thing in the movies that the dinosaurs can't reproduce because they don't have, they're all female dinosaurs that are cloned,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they mixed in frog DNA and they use frog DNA as an example because frogs can. Uh, adapt to its surroundings and all Mm -hmm. female colony of frogs would very quickly turn into an 80-20 group of frogs Mm -hmm. same exact thing happened here with dinosaurs and I loved how they telegraphed it if you were paying attention with the raptors he's like one of the raptors got brought in and then it kind of got like it waited after around two weeks it got super aggressive and killed a whole bunch of the others oh and it's like oh so it was the alpha male then oh yeah it killed all the other males oh yeah (laughs) Like, they telegraph it. They tell you what's happening. But they don't give but you like, the context they to didn't, know. They
1: didn't, you uh, you had to put the two and two together. Oh, exactly. Clever. It's like really
0: it. smart. And they never, they never tell you. They never connect that dot. Yeah. But what they tell you is they introduced this raptor. And after around two weeks, it started getting bigger and stronger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And started killing a whole bunch of the other raptors. But it killed, like, four and left three alive. Mm-hmm. So it killed all the males. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: And you have an alpha male. Which is why it's kind of like, he's like, oh, clever girl, and he gets, ta- he gets attacked. Mm. In the book, it's more clearly demonstrated that the raptor has an alpha male, and it's like ordering the other raptors around.
2: Oh, I see. Like, it's
0: more like, like the raptor like looks at a kitchen, and it like, ah, ah, noise thing, and then the other two run to the kitchen. Like, right. it's like, there's an alpha in the book more right. than there is in the movie. Right. Because in the movie, they don't really give the raptors enough screen time to give them like, personality, other than there's one scary, super scary one, and there's two, just ordinary super scary raptors. Yeah. One is the terrifying planner one. We know that. But.
1: The other two are the the underlings. And the
0: thing is, they're underlings. They're underlings that could very easily kill every single person on the island by themselves. Like, they're kind of underlings. It's like saying, oh, that guy's a boss. Well, he's got two mini bosses. Well, the mini bosses are still going to beat you. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you said you have a surprise by the end of this podcast.
1: Oh, are we at the end of the podcast already?
0: We're getting pretty close. We've been recording now for quite a long time.
1: All right, that's awesome. Um, so surprise, I thought it would be really cool to kind of look up 10 random facts you didn't know about Jurassic Park. Sure. Just because I was curious. And right. I was wondering if you knew them all.
0: OK. So okay. we're, you're going to read them and I'm going to talk about them if I know about no, them.
1: No, I'm just going to tell you about the ones that I thought were interesting because most of them are like, did you know this person was nearly cast as this character? And I'm like, I don't care.
0: Was Nick WizKage nearly cast as Malcolm?
1: I don't think so. Oh, um, that would have been awesome, though. I think Jim Carrey nearly was. That would have been terrible. <laughs> oh, Jim man. Carrey was nearly cast either as Malcolm or Dr. Grant. One or the other.
0: Carrey could have been cast as Nedry. That would have worked. I don't think so. Oh, it would have (laughs) been like it's like the whole meme thing, right? This guy, this guy's name is Doug! We got (laughs) Doug over here! No one cares. Like that that's a very I could see Jim Carrey doing that. Yeah. It's like, everyone. Arms flail wide dramatically. Yeah. We got Doug over here. (laughs) Doug! nobody cares like you see jim carrey (laughs) doing his like very early 90s ace ventura yeah yeah but thing is that would make the movie worse i think it's better to have him be played by this big slovenly greedy messy
1: well it's about entitlement and thinking that you are able to like do whatever you want that ned nedry yeah dennis nedry yeah yeah
0: like, the thing is, that, I don't know, I feel like Creighton has such, like, strong archetypes in his characters, yeah. and they're good archetypes, and that they're slightly different than normal. Yeah. Nedry is greedy and over his head, but is not an idiot. Huh.
1: So. So.
0: Here are the ten facts of Jurassic Park that I did not know. Well,
1: actually, probably not ten, just, like, two. Oh.
0: Here are two facts of Jurassic Park <laughs> that I did not know.
1: Here's a big one! Potentially. There was actually a surprising amount of CG in that movie, like, the original, apparently.
0: Yeah, they use it to enhance normal effects, not to replace them.
1: Apparently, no.
0: The gates for CG, I know that.
1: I was reading this and I remember being very surprised and I wanted to double check with a couple other sources and they kind of seem to agree. Mm-hmm. There's this one story about um, the dinosaurs where they didn't have the physical props for... The, 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 the T-Rex is completely real. They made the T-Rex and they built it. And Yeah, it's, you can actually see part, its
0: platform yeah, in some shots.
1: That part is completely like physical prop and it's fantastic. But well, the raptors
0: had heads on sticks.
1: Not even that. They had a sheet of paper on a stick that they would like carry around and be like, this so is a There's raptor a couple here. scenes
0: in the kitchen, that's true. Yeah. But they did actually have raptor head props, because you okay. can see them when you go to Universal Studios oh. in, in Florida. They have some of the actual raptor heads. Okay. And they, they're they like latex, like masks. Like, they don't look good at all. Okay. And yeah, the thing about Jurassic Park that was really interesting is this was one of the first movies ever that actually combined practical and CG effects. Mm-hmm. People either did, like, reboot-level terrible CG,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or they did very good practical effects that were still very obviously effects.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They kind of merged them. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the thing that you should do as much as possible is have a real thing and then make it look a little bit more, cool. Smooth. You know, yeah. like smooth out the like the neck thing and like yeah. when you can tell that it's like a head on a stick and you remove the stick, yeah. like that's good. Obviously, well, but I think what's really cool about the way that it was shot is that they could seamlessly integrate that without it being obvious, even yeah. in the early '90s. Which is,
1: I think there were a couple of parts where I was completely convinced that it was all physical effects.
0: That's like the Triceratops part.
1: Wow. Oh, man, that was amazing. The Triceratops, the level of detail on that was so And good. it was
0: around a quarter CG. Like, the skin texturing on that was all CG. But all they did was skin texturing. There was actually a thing there that was breathing in and out and, like, bathing a big bellows. But mm-hmm. the color and texture of the skin, it was like a big balloon.
1: I think they like filtered the skin because I remember watching something about
0: like building that. No, they had a a piece of skin on it, but it doesn't look good if you filmed it. It's there so the actors know that it's like grainy and bumpy and stuff. Hmm. But the actual one you see in the movie is like a textured overlay.
2: Hmm.
0: And that's one, like again, they show that at Universal Studios. They show the little part. They show this is what it looks like and this is what it is. And it's like, this is really cool. Also, the Jurassic Park ride at Universal is amazing and you should go. We're not sponsored by anybody, but I, <laughs> I feel like you should still go anyway. I'm not, not a great. fan
1: of thrill rides at all. It's not like, really a
0: thrill ride. It's like a it's a slow kind of Pirates Caribbean ride with one big drop.
1: No, that sounds I say terrible.
0: big drop. The big drop is like 30 feet. It's not even a very big drop. That
1: sounds huge. You're, on, sounds you're on a boat,
0: though. It's like, yeah, I don't know. In okay. a side note, at one point we went to a theme park, and we left after 17 minutes.
1: Because I nearly threw up.
0: Yeah.
1: It was bad. Yeah. I have no... Anyway um jesse park ride it's good <laughs> the last part the last thing what's the big thing i well no that was the big thing i thought it was going to be big because i remember us talking about like physical props and this is huge well, it was, was like,
0: the peak of physical like it was the first time ever that you had been able to merge them well
1: yeah but i thought before watching this movie this is like an expectation i had was that they didn't use cg like very much if it all. was
0: made in 92 like jaws yeah. jaws is almost no cg Jaws is basically all practical effects, which is why all you ever see of the shark is like, rah rah rah, what mouth? And that's it. Because they made that. But the body of that shark was like cardboard and like <laughs> plywood. But the mouth would look really good. I
1: think that like, made it so that you had to use other things than what the monster looked like to, to scare you. And you had to be smart. You.
0: Yeah. You couldn't shoot whatever you wanted. You had yeah. to shoot smart. Yeah. And again, Spielberg, when you give Spielberg limitations on what he can do... He is very smart and clever in how he overcomes those limitations. If you give him an open budget to do whatever he wants, like every director and every person ever, he just tends to go a little bit overboard and do too many things and it doesn't work as well. Yeah. When you say you have one T-Rex, you use this T-Rex now, yeah. Like they animated the way it walks because yeah. they couldn't make a real one that big that would actually walk like that. Yeah. But if, that's why, like, when the T when the T Rex is in the very last scene, it's in the Welcome Center, and it's roaring at the sky, and the banner falls down. Yeah. You can see the platform underneath it where they rolled it around. <laughs> and it's like that's kind of cool. Like, you know, they're not perfect; they have a couple of little mistakes, but you never noticed it all. Your first watch, I you are like, so unbelievably enthralled by the T Rex and its majesty roaring as it says, "Rulers of the world," all, like fall across
1: Yeah.
0: Like, kings of the ancient world. Like, what does it say again? "Rulers of the ancient world."
1: Yeah, I think something. It was King.
0: Yeah, but it was, like, that banner and the dinosaur roaring has mm-hmm. all of your attention. But if you happen to pause it and, like, look, you can kind of see in one spot where the platform was. It's the
1: edge of the platform. Yeah, but,
0: it's like, again, not a big deal at all. Like, it was such a perfect shot that no one ever noticed. Yeah. It took, like, until we had Blu-ray-level quality mm. reproduction to notice. Because the thing is amazing. Yeah. But anyway, what's the last fact?
1: The very last random fact was... I just thought this was absolutely hilarious. While filming, um, in order to make it realistic or like have something that the actors can respond to, there, there was like the pictures on the stick for the dinosaurs. But they also didn't have the sound effects for the dinosaurs, so instead of actually having proper sounds, which they, they um, in post-production they used like sounds of dolphins and whales and, and they they gigantic down creatures and, yeah. and stuff, yeah, and and it was great. But instead of having that on set, what they had was Steven Spielberg and a bullhorn going,
0: <laughs> "I like that. I was like, like, this is a raptor." Don't, no, you don't get it. This is a raptor. Ah, wait, wait, Stephen, Stephen, can you, like, give the raptor more feeling? Like, is he a hungry raptor? Like, ah, there's not enough character for this raptor. Stephen, you're a great director, but you gotta, like, what's, you gotta method.
1: <laughs> I, I can't fully respond to the terror of this T-Rex when you roar, like, Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it doesn't really work you know you gotta be like but I think like the thing is the noise for the raptors are so iconic now like the uh, like the very like
2: uh, yeah uh,
0: no, like that like it's almost bird like but it's like it's creepy and that movie made that noise creepy because I don't think that would have been creepy if I haven't seen Jurassic Park yeah. and it's like a, that's a weird noise yeah. now it's like it's like uh oh uh-oh, that's like, it's now like, it's like the Twilight Zone, like the...
1: Oh, it's like that opening theme to, um, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Where as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh sh-.
0: Oh no, <laughs> no, Something's no. Gonna yep. Yeah. Also, good censoring. This is a PG podcast.
1: I... Ding! <laughs> I just made a noise there. That wasn't anything.
0: <laughs> Alright, so this was really the first episode of... How haven't you seen that?
1: Where... I defy all expectations of 90s kids.
0: And have seen nothing. So we're going to remedy that one movie at a time. Coming up very soon, we have a couple movies on the horizon. I don't know what the order it's going to be aired in yet. But we're probably going to do, I believe Commando is next. We're going to film. Yep. Uh, we're going to do a couple like uh, 90s comedies as well that you haven't seen. We're going to do some period pieces that you haven't seen. I got a couple of really cool things in store for you that you have no awesome. idea about yet. And it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be a journey of discovery through 80s and 90s. Great movies with the occasional unbelievably bad one thrown in just for good effect.
1: Oh, great. I look forward to no, that. because, like,
0: hey, it, I don't want to give you too rosy a picture of the 90s and 80s. Like, I'm going to give you the good... You're going to see the Jurassic Park. So you're going to see the Commando. You're going to see like, the great movies of the era. <laughs> you're also going to see occasionally, like, uh, I don't know. What's a good example of one that's that level? Um, you're going to see, like, a junior occasionally.
1: I don't even know what that means.
0: But the viewers do. (laughs) And they know exactly what you're in for.
1: Oh. Oh, well.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening. Uh, Yeah, you don't have to, like, share it or anything, but, like, come back.
1: (laughs) All right. Ariana out.
0: This is Luke signing off. Closing music, closing music, closing music. (laughs) Intro and outro music is Daily Beetle by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 by attribution.